You are listening to episode 57 of the On the Wrong Lead podcast. Follow us on Twitter at wrong underscore lead, youtube.com slash on the wrong lead, and visit our website at on the wrong lead.com. Help support On the Wrong Lead by signing up for Stable Duel, where you can play, race, win. Use our link in the podcast notes. You can also support us by buying a t shirt or other merch at on the wrong lead.com. Shout out, keep pounding. Support for On The Wrong Lead is brought to you by Manscaped. Who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, champions of the world? Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code WRONGLEAD at manscaped.com. Hello, happy, well, it looks like it's Wednesday night, the 1st December. It's been a while since we did one of these. Uh, welcome to the On the Wrong Lead podcast presented by Stable Duel, presented by Manscaped. And, you know, there's a, there's a guy I've been wanting to get on here for a little bit. Uh, met him ooh, a couple months back in Chicago and got him plastered at three dots in the dash. Was it three dots in the dash or two dots in the dash? I forgot Not the name of it. Three dots in the dash. Three yeah. dots in the dash. Yeah. He was singing country music at, uh, uh, what was it, Bub City? Uh, I, think, I think so. Yeah, yeah, Bub City. Yeah. And then we went over to uh, Frontera. But, uh, well, we uh, had a blast that day, man. <laughs> Do we, man, I, my, my wife was really, she was just like, she was just like, I knew you were gonna miss the train because I had Uber. I had an Uber home because uh, I didn't feel like waiting two hours for the train. So, right. Um, but uh, but yeah, Nick Dayton, uh, uh, known as Vangi. If you guys are in the Discord, um, you know he's a he's a young one. He's one of the young guys in Discord. So I uh, wanted to get him on and, and get his thoughts. How you doing, Nick? Good, good. Uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, this is. Uh... This is kind of something I've been wanting to do. I was hoping to get on uh, either yours or, you know, Caps or whoever's podcast, you know, kind of talk a little bit about, you know, my thought process, uh, you know, kind of my background and whatnot. Um, you know, me being, what, second youngest, like I was talking about a little earlier, you know, uh, definitely hitting a different style of viewer, listener, you know, not not the uh, the boomer, not the 40-year-old. <laughs> for sure uh you know nick uh nick definitely uses words like gas and fire non-ironically uh <laughs> <laughs> dude oh man i just like i just keep thinking about being at the bar and then kentucky downs you know we all went out to kentucky downs he's part of the kd crew and uh got a got his picture taken with um uh with Rispoli there looking looking like the rock a little bit but uh i know everyone gave your <laughs> your outfit some shit but, Bro, but they, it was fun times capris dog it's a cuff that's in style now uh, i'll take your word for it but uh the the tucked in t-shirt i mean that was a different uh, oh, i don't know i couldn't tell if it was a t-shirt or a onesie but uh, oh, it's, it's, oh jesus all right <laughs> Anyways, um, so so Nick, tell me what what got you into the horse racing? Like, what what were were you a family guy? Were you like, uh, I don't know, do you have family that works in the industry? Like, what kind of got you interested? 
Yeah, um, you know, kind of dating back, uh, this probably would have been, I want to say before I was in high school. And so I think most people now who are, you know, around my age or, you know, even slightly younger, like I I would say a a good majority of them are probably, um, you know, somehow, you know, family got into horse racing and so it kind of got passed along. And so I would say that's that's more or less the case for me. Um, my first memory of going to the track, we, we went to, we were in Long Beach for Christmas uh, at my uncle's house. And we decided that, because, you know, Santa Anita opening day is after Christmas. And so we went to Santa Anita opening day that Friday. And let me tell you, I have never seen such an atmosphere at any sort of sporting event and you know i've been to a ton of sporting events but early in my life i had been to nothing that has ever hit me with such excitement you know passion uh, just an overall vibe that i think was unmatchable um so early in my life and you know going into santa anita you know you have that kind of like pavilion area when you walk in you know with the open bar and the restaurant and whatnot and you hear all the guys you know i mean it's it's loud, it's crazy, you go up to the club seats, it's nice, it's cool, like, the aesthetic was great, and it's opening day, and back then it was packed to the gills. I mean, shoulder to shoulder, uh, you know, rail birds are out, smoking cigs, all this kind of, I mean, the, the vibes were immaculate. It was so, so much fun. And, you know, my mom and her brother, my uncle, uh, that whole side of the family is from horse racing. And so my grandfather owned horses. Uh, he owned horses with um, his brother. He owned horses with uh, Rudy Lapera, who's a family friend of mine. Um, they ran up in Arlington. They they ran at Hawthorne. You know they had a they had a Chicago base for quite a while, and then they moved him out to the West Coast when he uh, moved back out in kind of the OC area. Um, and they were running some at Hollywood, some at, um, Del Mar and some at Santa Anita, but that's kind of where, you know, my whole family got involved is, you know, through my grandfather kind of passed it down to my mother who, you know, she loves horse racing and I go to the track with my grandfather all the time. I I mean, literally uh, I can, I can tell you this. uh, If I pull up my recent phone calls, uh, um, I will probably guarantee you about 50% of them are from my grandfather calling me and asking me if we're going to go to Lone Star this weekend. So <laughs> that's kind of where, that's kind of where my, like, I guess, entry into horse racing came. It, it definitely came in from a younger age and, you know, funny enough, I did not go back to the track after that first time for a long while. The next time I think I ended up going to the track was my sophomore year of college when I was living out in um, Huntington Beach and I went back to Santa Anita that that time and it's kind of just been I, I just I think that's when I refell in love with the game and wanted to get back into it and so that's kind of like I guess my story as how my life pertains to horse racing yeah that's that's awesome you know I, I mean I've told the story how I got into it all the time which is just that I had a uh, I was known as a degenerate at work because I went to <laughs> Vegas. I went to Vegas so often and I got involved derby pool. And next thing you know, I'm like researching horses and stuff. But, uh, um, you know, I, I always tell people, uh, especially people who don't, um, 
really follow horse racing, like the puzzle part of it, the competitive part of it gets me. And I know, um, you know, we kind of have similar background. I mean, you, you played sports in college, which is further than I played, but we both, you know, grew up playing competitive video games. You know, I, I grew up playing counter-strike, um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people listening who have no fucking clue what I'm talking about, but uh, I grew up playing counter-strike and I grew up going to tournaments and going to, um, you know, going to tournaments every weekend, you know, getting, going to the land center that we got sponsored by and doing shit and, uh, and getting preparing for stuff. And like, you know, I, I feel like the cool thing about horse racing is it kind of like, uh, helped me fuel my competitive side a little bit. Um, you know, with, with both, you know, paramutual wagering and, and playing tournaments. I mean, you, you kind of feel the same way, like with your, your background in, in sports and stuff like that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you know, exactly when you mentioned it at the beginning, I knew exactly where we're going to go. It's, you know, um, the, the paramutual side is definitely, and, and it's, it's definitely influenced kind of how I bet as well. You know, it, it's that competitive nature. And so, you know, I've had to, I've had to change my betting. Like when I first started betting, you know, it was, it was more or less like I'm trying to win every race. And then it slowly changed as I kind of am able to throw more money. Cause you know, I'm some sophomore in college trying to go to the track and bet, you know, I'm maybe brought $40. You know what I mean? I'm betting $2 win bets, but you know, I'm trying to decide, Hey, am I going to be eating McDonald's tonight or am I going to go pick up something pretty nice? And so that was kind of how I bet early. And now that, you know, now that I've graduated, I get a little bit of a job, you know, whatnot. And and my bankroll grows a little bit, you know, it's, it's, it's still a competitive part now that's kind of, I've changed a little bit of the way I bet. I change a little bit on how I I, I attack the card. Uh, I attack each race. And so, but yeah, more or less, I mean, I, I feel like anyone who has had, some sort of competitive background, whether it's in sports, whether it's, you know, academics, whatnot, um, you know, this sport is a hundred percent for you. It's, you know, it's those paramutual pools, it's those tournaments, it's, you know, all of that combined, it makes for such a, you know, it, it makes for such an intoxicating environment. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, definitely our kind of small group, you know, we, uh, we play it. We play a bunch of tournaments. We play, uh, you know, a couple of us play stable duel a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that's, that's one thing, but um, I guess from a more paramutual perspective, what, what, what kind of player do you feel like you are? Are you more of like a single race guy? Are you more of a horizontal or vertical? How are you kind of looking at races? So, you know, um, and this is, I think, you know, when I when I first joined the big chat, you know, and, and I was actually being able to, you know, kind of get really involved with horse racing. I was I was very singular, you know. Okay, I might play an exact to here, you know, but more or less more fat win place bets, you know, very basic because I'm new, you know. I I, I don't really understand like I. I, I'm slowly picking up the game. I, I'm trying to, you know, build a foothold. I'm, I'm trying to get, because, you know, they're, I think anyone can admit this. When you first start, and I think this is a, a really big turnoff to a lot of people, I mean, there's a bit of a learning curve. You know what I mean? Like, Joe Schmo, who comes to the track, you know, once a year, you know, and it's not even a big day, you know, they go and ask this 
player, this horse player that goes to the track, you know, uh, every day of the week. And they ask, oh, hey, what do you think about this horse? And they give you, like, this laundry list of reasons, like, why you should like them, not why you should like them. I mean, you got to follow the game just like any other sport. And so I think when I first started out, I was definitely ignorant to all the information that not only was available, but, like, I, I don't I didn't know trainers very well. I didn't know owners very well. Uh, uh, horses in their backlog, I mean, yeah, sure, I get numbers on the pad, but, you know, I don't really understand, like, what each race entailed. You know what I mean? Like, how heavy each race was. What was the idea? Like, what was the competition level like? And so when I first started, it was definitely kind of, you know, play it safe, play it easy. But I think um, after I, you know, got comfortable and whatnot and, and kind of talked with you guys and, and other guys who've come in and out of the chat, it's... Now I'm trying to play more, okay, what is a good, quote-unquote, like, value bet? So if I walk in the track, and, and usually, you know, as a guy who, I, I have a lot of stuff going on in my life, and so uh, obviously I try to play as much as possible. And so when I go to the track, I don't bring, you know, a thousand plus dollars. You know, I, I usually bring around 500 bucks, um, something that I'm comfortable with losing at all. It's, you know... The best value play in my perspective are, you know, those doubles and pick threes. It's, I can slam short, you know, I can pick one or two horses a race, five bucks, you know, and that's going to be a $20 ticket. And I'm 100% comfortable in losing that. And plus it ties me over for two races. And so for me, that's kind of where I am betting wise. I'll play a pick five and a pick six sometimes. Especially on those guaranteed payout days, I'll try to throw a ticket in, especially if it's a pick five I thought it was fun. Like when we were at Kentucky Downs, I, th I threw in a pick five. Um, but I I'll, I'll usually only do that on either guaranteed payout days or, um, or like big days. But other than that, I'm, I'm usually slamming doubles or pick threes, and, uh, and I won't go as much as a pick four unless it's like, you know, we're playing Los Alamitos at 9 o'clock at night. So... Yeah, no, and, and you know that's that's kind of similar to me. You know, I I, I try to avoid the pick five, uh, pick six. I mean, if there's a carryover, I, I feel like it, it's hard not to play uh, because you're going to get an advantage. But right. usually, other than those days, or and I, I will say this: if I'm on vacation, right? If I'm at the track, and I've like usually, if I'm at you know Saratoga or I'm at Keeneland like this past year, and I've actually like traveled and like saved up and like i'm like okay like i'm gonna play more than i normally do like yeah then i'll fire away at pick five but right um for the most part you know i've been i've been sticking with win bets doubles you know the occasional pick three and you know i i feel i kind of agree with you i feel like sometimes people forget the value that there is in, in win pool and um you know a good good example was this weekend i was at a tournament um, I wasn't playing. I was just there with um, with uh, Mr. Backclass, Brian, and yeah. a couple other guys from our Twitter group. And we were there. And I was just looking. I was like, you're doing. I was just looking for value. And I would see a couple of horses that were long odds that I thought were value. And I'd put 10 bucks to win. Right. Oh. And I was maybe I was firing some small doubles, too. But I literally hit two horses the entire day. And I made like four, and I was up at at a certain point. I was up like four hundred fifty bucks, right? Wow! Like and just from two horses, 
right? A twenty right. to one, a twenty to one comes in, you got ten bucks on it, like it's like that's two hundred and twenty dollars, you know, mm. or two hundred and ten dollars. Like you're, you're like like that's not an insignificant amount. And I know right. like people look at the pick five as like they feel like that's like the only way that you can really like hit a big score. But um, you know, I was listening to the uh, Jason Bean podcast and inside the pylons was on there and he he was bringing up a good point he's like look like like yeah the pick five like it, it seems easy because you can hit a big score in a base wager he's like but if you're going to put 150 dollars into the pick five like you could also put 50 dollars or 100 dollars into an exacta and probably make the same amount of money and so like i i think you know there there's definitely there's definitely value out there in the in the smaller bets like you said slamming something well, and funny you should mention that, actually. Um, so my strategy recently, and uh, I, I think, and I forgot who, you know, kind of gave me the tip originally. And, and honestly, for me, I, I felt like an idiot after doing this because I was like, well, duh, I need to do this. But, you know, sometimes when I play doubles or whatnot, and even in tournaments now when I, when I started playing these, um, you know, in tournaments, obviously, I'm betting one way, but if, if you know, I'm playing a double and I like the value a lot on one horse, you know, and I use them on my double, it, I, I, I think it would be, and I felt idiotic for not placing a win bet on that horse. Because why, why would I limit myself on a payout? And, and granted, I'm not trying to say, like, you should slam a win bet on, like, you know, a 15-1 shot. But if I've got a guy in my double who I think is a likely contender, you know, and I'm getting 8-1 to one plus odds on him, I mean, that's kind of like, for me, it's, it's turned into, yeah, I need to put 5-10 bucks on him. Because I obviously see them as, my opinion is that this horse is a likely contender on the field. So... I should more or less double down on this value and try to make more money on this. And so, yeah, on that win betting perspective, I think, I think there's a lot, I I think kind of my idea of that has changed extremely recently. And, and honestly, I I kind of feel dumb for not doing that in the past because I mean, even in tournaments, uh, I'll tell you this, um, I've been win betting some of the horses that I think are like massive overlays and just putting five or 10 bucks on them. And I've made more money, I think, in the past, and not just from tournaments, but like just from these win bets. I've probably made more money those last three weeks doing that than I have in probably two months. Because it's like, that's, that's just money you're missing out on by not putting, you know, five bucks down. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, with regards to racing, what circuits do you follow mostly? Do you, are you kind of all over the place? You just follow the big days or do you kind of sit down and focus on one? Well, you know me, I'm a Mr. Lone Star, but you know, uh, I would say my, my favorite racing, uh, obviously like I'm very biased towards Sam Houston. Um, you know, the takeout on that and Honestly, uh, and I don't know if you remember, but uh, me, Connor, and Jay all kind of played in this uh, like this free tournament deal that was going on on Twitter, and where I think every race day you kind of sent in your picks, blah blah blah, and they had a leaderboard and whatnot. Um, you know, Sam Houston has some very very good racing. Uh, their turf racing is phenomenal to watch. Uh, super underrated track. I, I wish the pools were bigger. 
but the takeout alone has it, it makes it a no-brainer to not play. Yeah, and definitely the 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 pools have been getting bigger. Oh yeah, I, and you know I was there on um, on uh, on the ladies' classic day last year for my birthday, and I ended up hitting the pick six that day. And granted, the the payout was BS because they had some BS dead heat call, but you know. I, I really felt like kind of that card alone, I was like very surprised by seeing pools grow up beyond a million dollars. And so I, I'm, I'm really hoping, and, and plus that it deals a lot with kind of the bureaucracy that goes on in Texas and whatnot. Um, it's, it's still, you know, illegal to bet in Texas unless you're at a, uh, you know, uh, 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 at a paramutual site like the track or the OTB. And so I, I, once they clear up that whole issue, I, I feel like the game will grow a lot more. Um, in terms of other tracks, I kind of spot play. Um, you know, everyone, you know, a lot of the guys we know, they, they play Naira because they're from up there. And so usually I'll play Saratoga when everyone's playing. Um, <clears throat> one of my, I will say, Kentucky Downs is by far the funnest track to play, period. And that was actually the best meet I've had so far this year. Um, the, I, I love playing Turfway, um, Churchill Downs. I usually try to stay away from, I'll, I'll play Gulfstream during the championship meet and then I'll play some Del Mar or Santa Anita, but anything else really like I, I seldom follow Louisiana. I, I think times and really it's, it's, it's really just down to, you know, a couple big tracks here and there. I, I'll, I'll try to play something that's not very, I guess like mainstream like I, I i just don't like the prices that come in I'm, I'm always trying to look for a price i'm always trying to get around a favorite and so i i find that these smaller tracks obviously lead to some massive payouts and so that's more or less why i kind of play these one-off tracks and then as far as like handicapping style like what what kind of product do you use and, and and i guess what are you just in general what are you kind of looking for when you're when you're looking at races uh i would say when i first started you know it, it was obviously like i think i started with briz uh just because it's it's pretty user friendly and it gave me a better idea you know with the ease the emp and all that the uh all the denominations how they you know kind of classify horses and whatnot i i started out with briz but i've my biggest thing I think in the most helpful product is definitely time form. I, I feel like if you're not using time form, you're, you're really missing out on a lot of data that is hard to pick up on. If you don't really know what you're looking at, like I can look at fractions and kind of get an idea of what the time for pace might be like, but how time form does it. And as you know, you know, it's, it's kind of based on that race day. It really kind of compares on, you know, how the meat's going, you know, it gives those blue and red ratings kind of based on how the day and the meat's going and so on and so forth. So I, I think a lot of that information is uh, invaluable, like you need it. And so that's kind of the one and probably the biggest product I use now. I, I, the, I'm kind of hesitant on using time form dirt figures I don't think that's, uh, I, I think I prefer buyer a little more in that. And so I'll, uh, I think 
the product I use actually right now the most is the uh, I use like the Timeform, but with or not the Timeform. I use a uh, the DRF, but with the Timeform figs kind of below all the fractions and whatnot. And so that's kind of what I'm using now. And so going into kind of the way I handicap, um, obviously like pace is pace makes the race more or less. And so I, I look at pace first, and I try to denote you know. What are the possible scenarios we try to make out? And I try not to look too deep. I feel like if I'm spending more than maybe 10 minutes on a race, or if that, um, I'm overthinking something. And so I really try to limit the time I look. I, I try to look for patterns I've seen in past winners. Um, you know, sometimes if I'm, I'm capping a big card or I'm, I'm playing in a tournament, I'll watch the races from the prior day. And try to spot, okay, you know, this horse was this odds and one from this part of the race. You know, he was sitting back, blah, 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 or he was on the lead the whole time. So I'll try to build up a quote-unquote bias. But, you know, I kind of want to see how the track's playing. I, I want to see how the pace is doing. I want to see how that pace pressure builds up. And then I'll try to look for, okay, you know, what horses have been running in pretty quick races, what horses have kind of closed in slow races, all that kind of stuff that's, you know, very basic, I guess, handicapping. So I try to keep it simple as possible. I really try not to overthink it because I feel like as gamblers and as people who, you know, watch these horses every day and divulge in a lot of information daily, we can easily get caught up in trying to find angles that are not there. You know, we get really stuck in the idea of, you know, well, this possibility might happen. And now we're building a full on synopsis on why this possibility one of out of a billion might happen. And it totally changes our handicapping perspective on just this one race. And so, like I said, I, I really try to keep it as simple as possible when I'm looking at each race and every card. Yeah. And, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I, I started off with Brisnet and I switched over to Timeform. And I kind of, I, I go back and forth, but for the most part, I've been time form full time for about a month now. Um, and, um, you know, I, I kind of agree. I've been spending less time looking at the form um, and kind of just trusting my first judgment. Um, you know, just looking, looking at the form, um, looking at every single horse, you know, throwing out the ones that I think don't have a chance and then just taking my first pass and just kind of sticking with it. Um, because I, I I definitely agree. Like, there's a real easy way to get get yourself caught in analysis paralysis, especially as a as a newer player. Um, you know, you see, you get friends who have all the fancy products like Thoroughgraphs and 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 Works, and you know they they use DRF, but you use Brisnet, and you know uh, you know you start comparing stuff and, and you know mixing sauces, as we like to say, and uh, <laughs> it it can get it can get overwhelming, and and like. Not to say that you can't be successful doing it, because I know like Caleb does it. I know Mark does it. You know, right. um, Brian. Brian switches to a different product depending on what month it is. So like, and okay. and you can be successful doing that. But like, I I just found at least for me like it it hasn't been um, it hasn't been a a, a positive experience. I I got to have one main product and maybe I have a second that I look at occasionally to double check something. But for the most part, I I stick with one. So. Right. And, you know, it's funny you bring up uh, like third grass, for instance, you know, because uh, and, you know, for the viewers or the, the listeners uh, listening in, it, you know, we got this guy's name's Tom and he's like, 
the biggest Thurgraph stan in America. And so, um, you know, talking about Thurgraphs, I honestly love the product. Um, it's extremely expensive, so I, I honestly cannot use that in my daily handicapping. Um, but if I get my eyes on, you know, a Thurgraph or I might buy them for, you know, a major day or whatnot, I, I like it. I love the uh, kind of the, especially in maiden races. I think the the best thing about Thurgraphs is really kind of talking about, okay, well, this was the dam's best, uh, you know, Thurgraph figure. This was, you know, this is what the sire ran. This is, you know, how all of the, uh, the progeny is doing, or, or this is how the trainers' uh, horses are doing. And so I think that information is extremely helpful. And I, I've found actually probably Thurgraphs to be maybe the best in terms of, you know, really trying to handicap main races, but, you know, kind of like you were saying, you know, mixing the sauces is sometimes, it gives me a headache because a horse that looks okay on, you know, time form might look phenomenal on third graphs. And I, I promise you that's happened almost like, I, you know, you see horses run like on third graphs and trying to, like as time goes by that horse, that horse had some ridiculous uh, third graph figures and you're just sitting there like, okay, so you just ran like uh, an O-neg or whatever. And you're just like, okay, so if that runs it again, that's the best in the field. Yeah. And then ends up coming in uh, DFL and it's like, you know, how am I supposed to interpret this data? I'm, I'm definitely a, uh, you know, a noob when it comes to that. I'm definitely a novice. But, you know, uh, I feel like if you just kind of keep it simple and, and really just see it from the face value and not try to think too much into it, I feel like success is definitely going to happen at a much higher rate. So this, this never happens, but I actually got listener feedback already on, on this interview, and they haven't even heard it yet. All right, and this is from our buddy Jay Davis. Was, he was actually on the podcast about a month or a month and a half ago. Yeah. And he says, I can see it now. Josh asks Nick what his strategy is for doubles. And Nick goes on a 20 minute story about he hit one in Little League. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your old baseball days. Oh, good old days. <laughs> um, so I got I got three quick fire questions for you. And then uh we'll 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 wrap it up here. Uh who right, right now right now Who's your favorite jockey going? My favorite jockey? Uh, Florent Giroux. Uh, favorite horse currently running? Favorite horse currently running? Oh, I'm going to have to think about that one. Um, probably Following C. All right. And one track you haven't been to yet that you want to go to? Ooh, good question. Um, uh, probably Keeneland for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks for, uh, you know, I know this is kind of short notice. Thanks for hopping on uh, and, uh, you know, talking horses with me. Uh, we'll be doing our normal uh, stream stuff on Thursday. We'll be doing, uh, taking a look ahead to the Cigar Mile, uh, Cigar Mile uh, card. And uh, I believe it's opening day for Turfway. So we're going to be firing away at Turfway live as well. I think we're looking the Lord. So, yep. so that'll be fun. But uh, um, yeah, Nick, we're. Where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, so my Twitter is uh, Nick at night, or no, sorry, Nick in the PM. Um, and uh, I got a, you know, I think it's N I C K 
I-N-T-H-E-P-M. So uh, I put out some horse racing stuff sometimes. I, I talk a little bit about gaming. I talk a little bit about baseball a lot. So uh, if you guys check me out, I'm, I'm sometimes entertaining. So Cool. Well, thanks again. And uh, I'm Josh, and we'll catch you guys later.